you know, I, I want students, I want teachers, I want parents, community members to remember the impact that I had on them and that and be able to speak about it. That not, oh, yeah, I had a good principal, but like, why was she good? Like, you know, oh, well, she came into the neighborhood. You know, my, 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 my child had a rough night one time. On this season of the PG Daily, we will be taking an in-depth look at education in Prince George's County. You will hear from some of the integral voices that are responsible for educating and enriching the minds of students in the county. You will also hear from students that have been directly impacted by the county's educational system, and you will hear how the Prince George's County schools impact the community as a whole. In today's episode, you will hear the daily news, and for our big story, Dale Roden continues his conversation with Dr. Ryan Daniel, the principal of Chillum Elementary School in Prince George's County. I'm David Smalls. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Prince George's Community News. I'm Vanita Newsom. Today is Wednesday, October 16th, 2019. Today we will receive much needed rain, so grab your rain gear before heading out. Highs near 67, winds southwest at 7 to 9 miles per hour. Tonight will be partly cloudy, windy, and chilly. Lows in the 50s. Thursday, partly cloudy, blustery, and cold, with the highs of 62 degrees. And that's our local weather for today. In local news, the Washington Post has reported that Rafael Edmund III, the D.C. drug kingpin who oversaw a drug ring in the 1980s, is now seeking early release from prison at a resentencing hearing on Tuesday. Federal prosecutors said Edmund III deserved to have his life prison sentence reduced. Edmund was sentenced to life for federal drug distribution in the district. He is facing an additional 30 years for dealing drugs behind bars while he was in prison in Philadelphia for his D.C. case. The sentence was to run consecutive to his sentence of life in prison without parole. Edmund did not appear in prison at the hearing. Instead, there was a live video feed showing him in eight cameras throughout the courtroom, sitting behind a desk, at an undisclosed location. Edmund's mother, Constance Bootsy Perry, and his sister sat in the second row in the courtroom. During a break at the hearing, Perry said it is time for her son to be released. Perry was convicted of being part of her son's drug empire, but Edmonds agreed to cooperate with prosecutors in 1998 in exchange for her release from prison. The government has not yet decided how much time it would seek to reduce Edmonds' punishment but District Judge Edmund Sullivan ordered the government to come up with a specific amount by June 11th. Sullivan asked if Edmonds were released, whether probation officers would be able to maintain him in the Federal Witness Protection Program. WJLA News reports that hair activists gathered in Rockville on Tuesday to support the Crown Act, a bill aimed to eliminate race-based hair discrimination. Montgomery County Council member Will Jawando introduced the Crown Act in September to prohibit hairstyle 
discrimination in Montgomery County. The Crown Act is being sponsored by Council Member Will Jawando and Nancy Navarro and expected to become county law. The Washington Post has reported that starting in 2030, local governments in Maryland would be required to pay a total of $1.2 billion more a year for public schools under a funding format proposed Tuesday by a panel charged with assuring that every child, regardless of address, has access to world-class education. The updated format also calls on the state to pay additional $2.8 billion a year by 2030. The panel plans to make a final recommendation to the General Assembly on how much state and local government should spend to improve public education and make funding more equitable. While the plan sounds wonderful for local schools and the commission settled on how much to spend, it does not address how to pay for the increases. And that has led to a major battle within the Democratic Majority General Assembly, Governor Larry Hogan, and state lawmakers. But Delegate Maggie McIntosh, a member of the panel, said that the money is there. Jurisdiction just have to make education a top priority when creating their budget. Under the proposal, Prince George's County would see a 38% jump in its education costs. Among other things, the money would be used for pre-K expansion, teachers' raises, behavioral health, special education, technical, and grants for schools with high concentration of students from low-income families. That's our local news for today. From Prince George's Community News, I'm Vanita Newsom. And now, for our big story, Dale Roden continues his conversation with Dr. Ryan Daniel, the principal of Chillum Elementary School in Prince George's County. So when you were an administrator at the middle school, I, I was I was a teacher leader, not not an administrator at all. So I was still in the, I was still in the teacher capacity, supporting um, from outside of the classroom. Okay, so you were supporting teachers. I was supporting teachers at, and at students. The, yes. Middle school. And then you support teachers at the elementary school, right? Yes, yes. Different capacities. So the the work was different. So in the middle school, I worked with we were we had a a one to one iPad technology program. And it was my job to provide um, professional development to teachers around the effective and appropriate uses of the technology within the classroom and then support them in that work and then help with management of it, just the, the technical side of it. When I was in elementary school, uh, my focus was really on instruction and building um, the math. Uh, instruction for the school and then also being the testing coordinator so for all of the standardized testing and district level testing that we would have and kind of being the management over that as well okay so let me ask you a question that's completely um off to the side is there an impact from the federal policy on what you do in your school today Yes and no. It depends on the area. Um, so, for example, Chillum is a Title I school. And so Title I um, school means that we utilize federal fund funding. So I do have some regulations when it comes to certain ways that I use my Title I funding. 
Um, and Title I funding comes from the number of students that we have on free or reduced lunch meals. And, excuse me, with the Title I funding, if I want to purchase an item for my building, I have to show the justification of how this, this item is going to support the instruction of my building and align it to the goals. So I can't just say, oh, I need a box of paper and I'm going to use my Title I funds for it. I have to really al al outline and align the paper to whatever instructional goal that we have, that we're having and how it's going to be measured. Um, so that's one way the federal um, impacts our school, and then also I'm, I have a pre-K program, a full-day pre-K program, and that's also through federal funds. So it is income-based. I have to look through all of the um, applications and make sure that we are following the guidelines um, from the early childhood office and making sure that those students have what it is that they need. When you look back at... Uh, when you first started teaching or when you look back when you were in the classroom, do you have a certain type of student who was your favorite to work with or um, easiest to work with? And, of course, the opposite of that, the type of student who was hardest to work with. Mm. Now, that's the same thing from a principal's perspective as well. Um, I, I, when I, I did not have a preferred student. I did not have a preferred student. I had a student that I naturally was able to um, support and work with the most. Um, I always received the most challenging students behavior-wise. Um, that you know, if a if another teacher had difficult time with that student, I was the classroom that he or she sent the student to, whether it was my student or another student. And and I think it's because I I really believe in building relationships with students and getting to know them. And I think because of that, I come from a different place with them. Um, those students that have behavioral challenges. So I take the time to get to know them. And whereas some teachers, administrators may have difficult time with students that have a lot of behavioral challenges or very resistant to new relationships. I um, I thrived off of those students because that was a challenge that is like, I'm going to show you how much I care about you. Like, I'm going to show you how much I love you. And, and then, you know, you keep showing that love, you keep showing that care, it ends up breaking down the wall. And then that student will go hoops and bounds and leaps for you. And then you get them to understand the importance of, okay, now that you show me this respect, you need to show your teacher that's respect. And you need to show this teacher, you know, when I'm not here, you need to be showing every other um, staff member the same respect that you would show me. In some ways, it sounds like mm -hmm. you're like um, another parent. Yes. Yes. Edu being an educator, you, you step in a role. Um, as the um, the other parent, it's the local parentis. Like we we take that role. Parents send to school the best that they have, and they they expect the school system. They expect the school to give all that they have and all that they can for their student. And so we, as educators, we step in that role. We we're not just teaching them 
education like we're teaching them life skills we're helping them navigate relationships and friendships we're teaching them how to be in social settings academic settings how to manage their anger and their time and you so you step in that role as a parent not stepping on the toes of a parent but getting students to understand that you know we're working we're working together for you so once again to to me as a novice it, it sounds like um the idea that some people have that the parents and the schools don't necessarily work together is false. Mm -hmm. The parents and the schools work exactly together, especially at the elementary school mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. At all the levels, it's important. It, it's not always the case that they work together, but it, at the end of the day, if we think about what is best for the student, what is best for the child, um, it the parent and the school, they have to work together in order for the student to be successful, no matter what level, no matter if they're coming into education at the elementary school level, you know, they're at that tough part of middle school or they're preparing for, you know, adult life. Like the school and the parents, they have to work together. And so that's why there's so much of a focus of schools getting within the community, opening their, do their, their doors, creating structures um, in their schools for parents to be involved and be hands-on and kind of know what's happening and how they can support their child at home. So just like a parent, you cannot have a favorite. You just have a different way. A different approach for everybody. But you seem to have a talent for working with the students who, who have um, a tougher time with everybody. As somehow that naturally fell in my lap. It's, it seems to be. And I, and I only say that just of different students that I've had experience with or um, when teachers call for me to come support them with a student or they ask questions of, well, what would you do in this situation, Dr. Daniel? Or like how, like, I don't know what's wrong with him. I don't know how to reach out to him. So I just kind of give them some suge su suggestions like, you know, have you had a lunch bunch with him? You know, ask him, you know, do you know what he does over the weekend? You know, is she a part of any extracurricular activities? Did you tell her that you liked her hair today? You know, it's like she wanted, she, she has a new hairstyle. Did you notice her today? And, and, Educators have to understand that those little things, they matter to students, and it helps build the relationships with the students. So a student who struggled all morning trying to get her hair done and fix her hair, she's coming to school, she's looking for an adult to say, I like your hair today, or I like that new, you know, that new thing you did with your uniform. Like, that's really cute. She's looking for that because she may or may not have gotten that at home, and she's looking for us to kind of um, – pat her on the back and say that we, we like something. So sometimes it's more than just education. It, it, it's really reaching and tapping into the heart of the child. Okay. Now, how do you deal with the teachers then? Um, as, as the principal, I'm sure there are some teachers who just automatically get it like you did. Mm -hmm. But there's some teachers who just don't and mm -hmm. need to be trained a little bit. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is, it's knowing your staff. It's knowing everyone's strengths and areas of growth. Because we don't have any weaknesses. We just have areas that we need to grow in. And so it, it's really just knowing where they are and, and where you need to get them to. And uh, I do a lot of differentiated professional development at my school. I do a lot of coaching. I believe that the principal is not the manager of the building, but they are the coach. They are the instructional leader of the building. And so that if that means me sitting down with a teacher and let's, let's look over your behavior plan, Let's try this. I'm going to come in tomorrow. I want to see if you try it. You know, those different things. Um, 
It's also getting them to collaborate and taking a teacher who struggles in the area to another teacher who is more successful in it and, and walking with them and doing a lot of peer observations. So it's really meeting teachers wherever they are and helping them get to where they need to be. Okay. Is there a, a kind of person that you would point to and say, this is the kind of person who would be ideal for teaching at the elementary school? Um, no, when, when I interview, when I interview teachers, um, I don't, I don't do formal questions. I have a conversation with them and, um, through that conversation, I, I just learn a little bit more about them and, you know, if they truly have a passion for children, if they are willing to be coached, if they understand how a child's mind works at, from four to 10, because that's a four, four to 10 is the hugest gap in the education system. Um, they, 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 the maturity levels, are, you know, a second grader can go home over the summertime and come back as a third grader. And you're like, this is a whole different kid. Um, so there is so much changes developmentally that happens in elementary school. And so I just look for, I just look for people who love working with children and they are passionate about it and they're willing to um, hone in and strengthen their craft. How do you see your job five years from today? Five years from today, um, I, I hope to be in um, a leadership position that allows me to work and coach principals and to really help mentor and build their capacity on our students and how to work with teachers. Um, I love being a principal. This was my goal, but it's not the ceiling for me. And I, I've i always wanted to see my impact in different ways. So, you know, seeing my impact in the classroom and then let me see my impact as, you know, over a whole school building, then a whole community. And so I'm interested in seeing what I'm able to do with all I've learned within Prince George's County Public Schools um, to impact other principals and coach um, other leaders within the county. What have you learned in your tenure as a, as a principal that you wish you had known day one? Oh, um, the importance of delegation. Definitely the importance of delegation. I am a single administrator at Chillum, which means I do not have an assistant principal. And that has been a challenge um, now going even into year three, just being able to delegate. I'm proud of myself. I've gotten a lot better than the first year. But delegation is hard, but it's, it is necessary for the work as a leader. And so I wish, um, I wish I had paid more attention to how leaders that I've worked with delegated things in a different standpoint. And then also, um, you know, how to work with resistant teachers or staff members that are resistant to change and you know just getting more being equipped with more strategies because a a staff member that's resistant to change can really be a toxic person in your building and if you don't navigate them correctly and strategically you know it could it could really bring down a culture of the building and I um I, would, I wish I would have asked more questions of how do you do this? You know, what, what does the behind the scenes look like? Because you don't learn the behind the scenes at the principalship until you actually get into the seat. Right. <laughs> so if, if there was anything, it'd definitely be those two. And then just the work-life balance, how to really uh, manage it. I'm 
a, a grown, have a growing family and my, my children are young. I have a preteen and then I have a three-year-old. And just being able to balance work and home and making well, sure. Th- how do you do that? that it, it's, it's, it's a day-by-day it's a day by day challenge that I I think I'm getting better at, but I, I ask myself all the time, who got the best of you today? Was it your students or was it your children? And and you know, asking myself that and making sure that I'm not so heavily involved in my school and the community of Chillum and those students that I forget about my own daughters. And, and I encourage my staff members to do the same thing as well because being an educator and being a parent is a very tough job because you're working with children all day long and then you have to go home and you got to work with your student, your child as well. And, and you miss a lot of moments. You don't get to walk them to school the first day of school because you're welcoming students in your building. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to navigate. And I try to lead my school with the, Family is important. You know, our, your family, we're a family here at Chillum, but your family is important. And your family shouldn't always see the back of your head, the top of your head, because you're pouring into your laptop. Like, you really need to take the time to spend time with your family. What would you tell the 16- or 17-year-old future Dr. Daniel, based on what you know today from your experience as a principal, um, as an assistant principal, as an education leader, as a teacher, as a student in college, what would you tell yourself? The sixteen-year-old me. The sixteen-year-old you, yes. Um, to keep going, to um, to keep going, to stay focused on your goals. At, at sixteen, seventeen, it was. I was in a very weird navigating life self just kind of trying to understand everything and I would I would tell myself that you know keep going and stay focused on your goals because I believe staying focused on my goals is what led me to where I am now and when I became a principal I was actually the youngest principal in the county and um and then just even the accomplishments of being Dr. Daniel and everything that I went through and endured to become Dr. Daniel after a six-year journey at in school, I'm working on my, my doctoral um, program. And so if I could tell the 16-year-old Ryan anything, it would be just, keep going, girl. You got it. You got it. I need to ask about what it was like to be the youngest principal in Prince George's County. Uh, you know, just always feeling like you had to prove yourself and it was nothing that anybody said or did it was my own it it was my own motivation to prove to people that I could do this um that I was capable of doing it um getting them to see me for what my strengths were and getting them to see my youthfulness as a asset and not a deficit um and but I had to stop because I used to let it get to me because I was such a young educator I started teaching at the age of 22 and and then matriculated in the county kind of you know in some people's eyes very fast but had different experiences and I I would get upset when people would highlight my age and how young I was or you know oh you don't have the experience or you don't, you know, you're not old enough yet or my child is the same age as you. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. 
And but when I shifted my mindset around it and I stopped looking at it as a deficit and started looking at it as, man, look what I was able to do. Like, look at the motivation I could be to somebody else. And I started I started changing my own narrative. I started telling my own story. And I believe that that empowered me. And so, again, it was nothing that anyone else said or did to um, kind of put me in that box. I put myself in that box sometimes because I always felt like I needed to prove to everybody that I, I, was, I was capable of doing this. And so when I started telling my own story and getting people to look at the, the experiences that I've had that led me to the position or where I was, um, it made them look at me differently. And then it made my work even greater, I believe. Did you ever have the, the imposter syndrome that, that young people talk about? Uh, who who reach high levels very quickly? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I don't think because um, although although I've um, although I am young, I I also have built relationships with veteran and seasoned leaders, and I'm a sponge. I listen. I absorb whatever I can from anyone that is willing to coach me and is willing to teach me, and you know I will present at the different conferences. I'll go to the different meetings to learn more because, again, I'm a learner, and and I'm not afraid to share what my goals are. And that is something that I think has helped me, that, you know, if I sat with the principal and they were talking, like, I, I want to be a principal. Like, I want to be a school leader. Can you help me? Can you coach me? And, and because I listened and I um, was very very vocal about what it was that I wanted to do. I think that helped me because I learned. I, I, I learned how to listen to others and I learned how to watch the model and watch the example and and take what I could from it and then make it my own and then ask for help and say and ask for feedback. So I love the feedback. I love the coaching. Um, I love the pushing and encouraging me. Uh, that motivates me. So where others... The constructive criticism is hard for them to take. I thrive off of that because I want to know how I can be better. Because if I figure out how I can be better, then now I can impact the whole school community. And the last question I want to ask you is to to go way forward in your, your career. When you're looking back at your accomplishments, what would you like your legacy to be? Hmm. That I was a change agent. That I, you know, I, I want students, I want teachers, I want parents, community members to remember the impact that I had on them and that and be able to speak about it. That not, oh, yeah, I had a good principal, but like, why was she good? Like, you know, oh, well, she came into the neighborhood. You know, my, 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 my child had a rough night one time and she was able to call, call her. I, I shared with her that. You know, she's not going to sleep and I have to work it late at night. And then next thing I know, Dr. Daniel called the house at 830 to make sure that my child was in the bed. Like I, I, I want them to remember that I was a, a hands on leader in the community and that I cared more than anything. I, I always ask my students, even if I'm um, getting on them about their behavior or academics or something like, you know, I care about you, though. Right. Like, you know that I'm doing this because I love you. And. 
their breakdown of tears or like I know or like I don't want to disappoint you, like that makes me know that they get it. And so that that's what I want people to remember me about, that I was more than just a principal, that I, I was a, a change agent within the community, within their lives. So when you become a motivational speaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for, thank you. for coming out. And I really appreciate this. Um, I don't have any other questions. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Was there anything I missed? No, no, I think that was it. There was one I missed. What? What was your dissertation? Oh, my uh, my dissertation was um, the motivational factors that impact novice teachers. So looking at um, what base, what makes teachers stay within the county and not focusing on why they leave. And I looked at the difference between teachers that go through an alternative preparation program and those that go through a traditional route. Okay, that's a lot. Eye-opening, it really was. It was a mixed method studies. Okay. So <laughs> it's a piece of work. All right, I'll walk you out. All right, thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by Prince George's Community News and Prince George's Community College, celebrating over 60 years of offering the highest possible standards in college education for the county and the region. Visit us at pgcc.edu. The opinions expressed on the Prince George's Daily Podcast do not necessarily represent those of Prince George's Community College, its employees, or its affiliates. Producers for the Prince George's Daily are Stephen Boney, Dorcas Ashinowo, Vanita Newsom, Heavenly Pickett, David Smalls, and Dale Roden. Music for this episode provided by DJs Young Carts and Scott Holmes. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our discussion on education in Prince George's County. This is the Prince George's Daily.